Hey builders, welcome to another episode of the People of Growth podcast. Before we jump in, I want to give you a quick content trigger warning. This week's episode contains reference to sexual abuse and may be sensitive to some listeners. Please listen at your own discretion or catch us again at our next episode on Monday. Our guest today is Jimmy Wisman. He's a comedian and the co-host of the podcast Small Town Murder and Crime in Sports. So let's jump right in. Hey, Jimmy, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm well, man. Yourself? I'm super good. I'm so excited. I'm a huge fan of Small Town Murder. My wife and I, we throw it on on lots of trips, and it's a really fun way to pass the time. I'm super excited. I don't usually get nervous for these interviews, but when it's somebody like you who's done something so cool that's such a part of my life, it, it, ah. <laughs> it makes me a little nervous. But I wanted to mix it up a little bit and break the ice with a little bit of a silly question. I think it'll be fun. So if a gunman ran into your room right now and he says, Jimmy, you have to cancel crime in sports or small town murder. Which one would you quit? Cancel? Fuck. Uh, yeah, forever. Quitting, quitting anything doesn't, uh, doesn't matter to me. I'll quit them both. <laughs> <laughs> if I have to stop doing one based on not enough time, or something, I would for sure stop doing small town murder just because crime and sports is my favorite thing that we do. James and I started that one with the with the reason of making fun of idiots that uh, didn't have to. You know what I mean? And that's the one that everybody can hate. You know, everybody can be mad at at, at a man that didn't have to do something. But sometimes you can relate to a plumber that was cheated on by his wife, and he has a a stressful life in the first place. And he just gets to his wits end and loses it and just uh, ends her in their, in their single wide in the middle of Oklahoma. Everybody can relate to that. Nobody can relate to Jose Canseco doing, doing drugs and, and, and throwing, pissing away money for no reason at all. And then just being broke eventually. And now living in a smaller house in Vegas than I live in in Phoenix. That's hysterical. He made over $100 million. There's no reason for that. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> and then having, like, being evicted from a rental property is not shame that you expect Jose Canseco to feel. But he's experienced it, and he feels it, and he knows that that's why. It's wild. <laughs> that's embarrassing. Well, I appreciate that answer. So yeah, you've been working on small-town murder and crime in sports for a while, but you're also a comedian. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started on working in crime and sports and what it was that really got the ball rolling for you guys? I mean, I've listened to you for a while and I know that you guys are doing really well with it. It's become a really incredibly successful podcast. So how did that start? Yeah, it was a surprise to us that it was going to work as well as it did. I started comedy when I was like 23. And when I say started, it was uh, it was a one and done. I did a show and it was terrible. And it was an open mic. It was just an actual open mic where you could do whatever you wanted, whether it was music or, or poetry or whatever you wanted. You got a mic and everybody's time for whatever amount of time. They didn't tell me how much time to do. So they just gave us a mic and told us to go. And when I was 23, I did maybe three to five minutes and was awful. Like, that, that doesn't even describe it. As a comic now and what I've what I've seen today and the, the like live shows, the guys that I've opened for and, and, and seen what a real comedian does, uh, those comics wouldn't have even stayed in the room if they'd, if they'd have been there. It was that embarrassing. And I, and I was terrible and I knew it. And I thought that, uh, I thought, well, I guess that's not for me. So I, I quit for seven years or so. And then um, I was married and 30 and uh, not happy with my life. And 
I was listening to Howard Stern show and Greg Fitzsimmons had uh, been on the show and somebody called in that was 30 and said they wanted to be a comedian. And Greg told him, if you want to do it, you better start because it doesn't get easier as you get older. And I took that as he was talking to me. So I went and did that same open mic and tried again. And I did I, I, what I felt was well. And so I started looking into what comedy was in Phoenix and started to go find other shows. And every show that I did, somebody else was there that invited me to another one and another one and another one. And every time I did another show, somebody else wanted me to come do their room. So I, it ended up being something that I, I really fell in love with and I started to get better, what I felt was better. And then I tried uh, an open mic at the clubs here where they were, it was a new club. It was the new owners of the temp. Oh, actually, they were trying to be investors of the Tempe Improv, and the guy that was the owner of that didn't want anything to do with them. So they opened a rivaling club in downtown Phoenix. And I went, and they were looking for MCs and hosts and features. So I went and did a show with 25 other actual comedians in Phoenix. Uh, I guess some of them were not, but <laughs> some of them were actual comedians. And the booker of the and part owner of the club liked me and took a, took a big liking to me, really, and gave me a bunch of, of opening spots and then got me into a contest, which got me my first weekend there. He gave me like Thursday nights, like off nights, just to see how I did. And then I placed third or second or first. I don't know. They didn't really tell us like really the, the winner of the club. But, I mean, there was a winner uh, prize. Uh, there was somebody announced as a winner, but that guy got to go to Florida and go open for somebody there because they owned clubs in Florida also. I got out of that an opening spot on a weekend show with uh, six weekend shows with Je Jim Jeffries. And after that, they booked me regularly and continued to do that. And, J and that's how I met James was through that process. And then James was trying to get on at the clubs as well. And they had an open mic style showcase with, for comics again to find more booker or more openers. And I kind of leaned over to the booker and said, you know, that guy's got, he's got something we should, who do you have opening for this person? And he said, nobody. And he was like, and they were like, we should have James do it. And then when they let James do that, then they continued to give him more work because he's a good comic and he earned that himself because he's, he's a, he's a strong comedian and they, and that's what they needed at the time. So then after being regulars at the club, we became more and more friendly through that process and complained to each other about the, the ires of, com of comedy and how, how horrible it really is. And the, 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 the real, it's a, it's a rat race. It's a ego crushing, just torture fest really. And we became closer and closer between phone calls of, of, of comedy and, and the complaints that we had and where we just decided, look through comedy, you can't really build anything. You have to, you have to get on with a, a headliner who takes you on the road. And I did that a few times with a different, uh, with a few different women, at, which was really flattering to me that, that ladies would take you with, with them, but they do that. Like women, in comedy do that because the dichotomy between your act and their act is going to be vast. The, the differences, the juxtaposition is nice. Whereas if they take another lady with them on the road, possibly she may step on premises about, you know, being a lady in this world. And so women like to take male openers with them. And then the other added bonus is that I wasn't trying to fuck anybody. And that uh, is a problem. Uh, a lot of people are in comedy for, for whatever reasons. And sometimes that, 
uh, alter, ulterior motive is sex. And sometimes they want to sleep with uh, other comedians. It's just, it's a grimy business in the first place, just because of the people that are in it. And the people that are in it, a lot of times are in it because it's their last bastion, their last uh, ditch effort to make something of themselves. And they think it's easy. And it's not. It's one of the hardest businesses there is. So that's one thing. So James and I decided that we, there was no really end game in comedy as of right now. So we continued to do comedy, but then we also started a podcast and that was Crime and Sports. And getting that going was, was kind of difficult. But once we started getting listenership to it, that was when James brought the idea forward of, of starting another podcast. And that one ended up being Small Town Murder. And that one kind of hurt also because once it started growing it grew faster than crime and sports and that was kind of both of us felt you know fuck uh, that, that's brutal uh it's tough to have that have something that that grows that fast when we felt like the the baby and the and the real uh the real breadwinner was going to be crime and sports and it it just didn't end that way and that's fine too because we have i mean we still have other plans for crime and sports other things that we want to do with it so it's, it's still a, a, an animal in and of itself. It's just people are really into listening to uh, the ins and outs of how an actual murder happens. And it's, it's really, it's fascinating watching that grow, but it, and it's not necessarily insulting to, to crime and sports. It's just, there are more people that, that want to hear that because they can relate to that and they can understand how that happens. And they just want to, I guess they just want to hear a story of uh, somebody who's got it worse than them. I don't know. I don't know what the, what the, what the psychology is behind it. Cause I'm not a doctor. I've just been through a lot of therapy. So I'm hoping that it, that it's just, I don't know. We, and at the beginning of small town murder also, we were real leery of it because we were trying to play it safe and not really give too much of us in it and how we relate to it. But lately and more and more, that seems to be what people want to hear. And we're allowed to, go on tangents if we find something in, in the story that we can relate to, even if it goes somewhere that has zero to do with Elkington, Minnesota, or wherever the hell we're at. As long as it has some relevance to the story, whether it's uh, uh, how we feel about something or how we can relate this to our own lives, uh, whether it's about eating dog food or that was in a different, that was in a crime and sports episode or whatever it is. People just like hearing, hearing us personalize the story which is my favorite part of it really because the the murder is is grimy and, and it's and it's painful to deal with so that's how we got to where we are and watching it grow has been a ride growing personally with the show has been something that i didn't really expect i mean everybody i feel like probably thinks i'm a good person yeah i've got room to grow but everybody thinks they're a pretty good person and then you fast forward five years and see where you are and then you go wow i was really a piece of garbage i really was terrible and i, and I didn't realize it like uh, just growing through the uh the social movements that happen through social media and not really i don't know I, I i don't take into account really how bad of a person i really am until uh i see the other side of somebody else's plight and it really feels great to be doing this in the way that we're doing it because i'm able to grow through it and it, it's bizarre too that growing personally through listening to and experiencing somebody else's worst day, you know, it, not, not even just a, a victim, but their, the family's worst day. And I'm finding more about myself and about society and about others and how to treat people and how, how to really just 
be better. And it's, it's fascinating. And I go to therapy every other week. So it, I'm, I'm, I'm also relating that into my life. It's fascinating. I'm blown away that I can change as much as I have. Totally. And in a lot of ways, that's exactly what this podcast is all about. There's so much that goes into becoming the person that you want to be. I think that it's kind of kind of like an ever-evolving thing that you're trying to reach. Because today, the person that you want to be in five years is different than who you're going to want to be five years from now. And I appreciate you telling us your story because I think that it, it's cool to see the evolution of you. Yeah. Um, you go from doing an open mic and then not doing comedy for seven years. And I think that to me, I think, okay, Jimmy Wisman, who's this great comic, has great podcasts, and is freaking hilarious. He didn't do comedy for seven years. Yeah. To me, that that offers kind of hope because as I struggle through things thinking, okay, maybe this isn't working or maybe I need to take a break or maybe there's a kid that's like, ah, I'm never going to reach my goals. Well, you know, it's a long process and it doesn't happen overnight. And I think growth takes a really long time. But moreover, it's about life is about risk and balancing risk versus reward. And I risked a lot when I started comedy when I was 30 because I had to I had a kid already. And I had two kids already. I risked a lot in terms of uh, how that was going to balance in my house, being out at, you know, leaving the house at six o'clock at night after working all day, being home for three hours and then leaving and then not coming home until one, two o'clock in the morning because the last show, the late show starts at 10. And by the time it's wrapped up, it's 12, 1230. And then you've got to sit around and wait to get paid or sit around with the comics or one way or another, you're, you're growing more as a comic until the headliner's ready to go home. And sometimes the headliner doesn't want to go home. <laughs> and that, that's when uh, stories happen and that's when fun happens. That's when debauchery happens. And you got to decide whether or not you're in for that or if you can manage through that because sometimes there's some temptation in there that you may not as a whole person be able to handle. And that's why comedy is so detrimental to so many people and why there's so many bad people in comedy. And you've got to be able as a... As a as a human being to be able to manage that on a personal level. And there's a lot of people that get into comedy very, very young. And by the time they're in their thirties, they have a, a, you know, plenty of chemical issues. We as a society force people to grow up at 18, 18. So when we call people an adult and we're not done, you know, we're, we're not ready yet to be that. And it's fascinating. I was talking to somebody the other day about how our chemical makeup as a, as a man that we're, we're riddled with testosterone at 18 and then it, it thins and starts going away in our forties. And that is the time of our life when we should be figuring out like our end game in whatever career we're in. So in our from 18 to, to 40 something, call it 45. That's your like, major time of your life that you're really getting your finances together and figuring out your path of how you're going to, you're, you're out, you know, and, and then after that you coast in your sixties. So you've got 15 years after the, the uh, testosterone starts to go away. And it is, I mean, for all intents and purposes gone, you know, and that stuff is the makeup of everything that causes our strife throughout our life also. It causes arguments, it, 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 it encourages our ego, it uh, drives our sex, obviously. And, the, and that's all your interest for that, geez, damn near 30 years, you know? And you can really, if you don't manage yourself, 
put yourself in a position at 45 where you finally sober up from all the this testosterone and 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 drive that you've had and then you go oh my god look at this world that i've created that is a it's a mess for all you know what i mean it, and i've now got to pick up the pieces like i don't want testosterone i want nothing to do with this shit it it causes i mean the fights that you get into the uh things you can't you can't deal with from your boss and then you, you tell him to go fuck himself and you walk out and then you have nothing. Uh, you, and then you're 45 and you've got a, a menial job and you've pissed away all your 401k and, and pension opportunities. And now you're, now you're, you got to focus on hopefully uh, social security is enough. It, so the, the path that you, you've got to grow up like it, it's so fast and they, they expect us to grow up. And then we're inside. We're not ready to be to grow up. And people don't understand how uh, how how fucked the. I don't even know what I'm talking about at this point. But how how fucked we are as people, and we're just expect to, expected to be so mature. And I I really attribute all of my damage that I've had in my life as a child. I attribute all my problems to that. But really. I, I had no chance, really. I, 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 between that and then the chemical makeup and the expectations of society, I was really on a roller coaster and path for for destruction long before I even realized it. And then when I did realize it, I started with with therapy as young as I did. Otherwise, I could be in a in a real world of shit. And I'm not even I'm not even close to being educated on any of this. It's just through life experience I've found that we have so many high expectations on everybody and, and nobody's got a plan of action or path. It's scary. I want to hit on that point you mentioned about therapy. I think that it, it's really interesting. We'll let 18 year old kids basically sign away their lives and student loans and stuff like that. Yeah. And then I don't know, it's therapy. It, it's getting better, but it's still kind of this stigmatized thing where it's like, Oh, you're going to therapy. What's wrong with you? Yeah. But I really think that every single adult should go to therapy, like a hundred percent. Sure. Because you don't know what, what's normal or how your brain works until you talk to somebody that actually understands how brains are supposed to function. Right. For example, I started going to a therapist when I was probably 20 or 21 and it totally changed how I thought about myself. And it really helped me to get to know all the things about myself that are damaging or the things, for example, I'm a really judgmental person about myself, about other people. It's just how my brain works. I see something and I judge it. Um, and I had to, I had to talk to a mental health professional to learn that about myself. So that now I know that about myself and I can factor it in. And I think that a lot of these things that we're talking about, like if we can learn about ourselves younger, if we can learn how to deal with ourselves and with our trauma and all these different things that we carry, instead of taking till we're 45 and we can kind of start to see through the fog, yep. we can, we can get ahead of that a lot sooner and put ourselves in a better situation. And that, that understanding of yourself really helps you to grow up. I don't know. I, I, I really just think that everyone should go see a therapist. If you think nothing's wrong with you, there's probably a lot wrong with you that you have no idea about. Yeah. And I'm dating a, a woman who is a, a psychology student and you, you nailed it. It's, it's literally everybody needs some form, some form of therapy. Therapy isn't for, isn't for the, the ruined and the people that, that don't have, you know, it's not for somebody sitting in a corner shaking saying, I'm an orange, I'm an orange. It's literally everybody. You can figure out so much about yourself just through a, a, a little bit of therapy and discussing an event that, that 
shaped you and you don't even realize that it shaped you. A close friend of mine just uh, disclosed some really awful things that happened to him as a child and he didn't even really realize that that it had had such a profound effect on him. He figured it was just an event and then he's and then now he's safe so whatever he's he's in his 40s so everything's fine. But it's not because that event wired sex with a horrible a horrible feeling and emotion. So whenever he feels that horrible feeling and emotion, it leads him towards I either need to have sex or sex needs to be some sort of, of sexual uh, touch has to be happening now. And, and he can, he, I mean, he was having uh, sexual experience through arguments and through strife in his life where he would, you know, brush against something. And now, now all of a sudden he's got some sort of sexual arousal. It's crazy. And people don't realize that, 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 that childhood trauma, when you're, when you're, becoming done you know when you when by the time you're 25 you're you're ready to deal with the world events when you're a child can wire things together that shouldn't be anywhere near wired together and then when you're 18 now the only way that you can be aroused is through uh, seeing a corpse like it's it's horrible things that that can be wired together and and ruin you i mean and I hate saying ruin you because people, I mean, I get tweets about that frequently and, uh, or emails saying, you know, stop saying ruin because somebody's not ruined. But you know what, as a victim and as somebody that feels ruined, that's what you feel. You don't, there's no other way to describe that other than that's how you feel. And so when I say it out loud, uh, people are, people feel like that's uh, demoralizing just to a victim, but it, listen, they feel that way. <laughs> they, they would, they would vocalize it that way. And if they don't, that's, I mean, that's because they've d gone through some sort of healing process. Whereas I am not healed. And whenever I discuss uh, sexual trauma uh, of a child, I call it ruined because you, you genuinely ruin somebody for an, an extended amount of time. And it takes their own effort to undo that ruining. Granted, they're not ruined forever, but for all intents and purposes, when they're faced with a situation that causes some sort of emotion that's wired to, to that experience, they feel ruined and, they're, and they can't function and you can't get past uh, that emotion. It's horrible. It, it's, it's why, I mean, people say like child molesters are the worst people on earth because you're hurting a child. And it's like, they, that's like a, a cliche but they don't get to the root of it. It's not necessarily that you're hurting a child and that you're, that you're damaging a human being that's somebody that can't defend themselves. And it's not for that, for that event. It's for what they're going to do to that person for the rest of that person's life, you know, and, and, and they don't even have to be in the room to be affecting that person. And that's the part that, that, that fucks with me. Uh, and the part that, that I, that causes me, uh, the most anguish and the most uh, uh, vitriol towards vengeance. It's, it's a, I, I genuinely want to hurt those people because the, the damage that they're causing is it's nowhere near a punch in the mouth or a baseball bat to the head. The, like, the, the things that you want to do to somebody that does that, that stuff doesn't measure up to the damage that they cause a child. It's, it's really, it's, really uh, it's demented stuff. Well, I appreciate you sharing all that stuff, man. I, I think that there's a lot of really impactful stuff we've talked about today. And I want to kind of wrap things up by um, circling back to mentorship. So you've done all these really cool things as a comic, as a podcaster, 
If you were going to tell somebody that was interested in following a career path similar to what you're doing, what advice would you give them? Uh, First, don't. (laughs) Find out why you want to do it. Look within first and then think about your shortcomings and think about where you are as a person in your life. And because it's not, people like to say, do you have it in you? It's not even that. It's, is, is it, what reason are you doing it? Because if it's for your own ego, bounce, man, go do something else. If it's for, if it's for helping others, eh, think about what you're helping others in. Because if you can't help yourself, you can't help others. And uh, lastly, if it's just for entertainment value, eh, think about who, who is out there entertaining. Because if you think you're going to compete with, geez, anybody, Conan, Conan every week starts a new podcast. Do you think you're going to compete with that guy? You're not. If you think that you're going to get all these listeners, you're not. James and I had the most luck of probably anybody because the two of us didn't expect this. We started at the right time. Timing is everything, just like in comedy, where you, you can't spit one joke out and follow it up with a dark joke and then do that with a, with a lighthearted joke. You got you to gotta pace yourself and figure out the, the rhythm and the timing. The timing is everything. If, if, if you think that, that uh, true crime is your genre, look in the true crime category because there is now a damn category. That's crazy to me. James and I didn't, when we started, there may have been, I don't know, 10 podcasts that talked about crime and two of them were enormous. And we didn't, we weren't competing with anybody. We were just doing what we thought was something that people would want to listen to. And the idea, the premise, everything, do it original. Don't find something that anybody else does already. Because when James and I started this, there wasn't two guys that were, that were being jokey about things. Uh, there wasn't two guys that were talking about criminal athletes. There just wasn't. And when it, when it came down to it, we were really excited to be original because we're comics and we don't want to do something that everybody else is doing. If we started today, we wouldn't do what we're doing. We'd have to end up uh, brainstorming and finding a different option and it would be exhausting. And by the time we came up with an idea, uh, we would say, you know what, this has been too long. No, I don't want to do this anymore. The, the, just the preparation of a thought and a premise was too much. I don't want to, it's exhaustive. If you don't have a hundred percent drive and believe in, in the product that you're going to put out, don't do it. And all the advice I'm going to give is going to be, don't do it because it's going to hurt. And the, and depending on where you are mentally, I don't know that there's a lot of people that are prepared for how hard it is. It's like putting out your own sitcom when there are, when Seinfeld's on the air, like, you know, friends is on the air. Home improvement is on the air. Everything's on the air and you're going to put out your own thing in your garage and everybody's going to watch it. You know what I mean? It's (laughs) this world now. And especially today, because with the pandemic that happened, everything was shut down. So anybody that's famous, I mean, obviously their, their agents are all talking together and they're all talking about, go do a podcast. You're famous. People listen and it's happening and it's working. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's honestly bananas. How many comics are uh, the podcasts that there, that there are by people that are not comedians. They're not technically public speakers, but they're putting out their own podcasts and it's successful because they have an audience because they have, 3 million Twitter followers and those people will go listen. And you only need 
you know, half a million people to listen to something and it's the number one show. Uh, it's not, it's not cable TV where you need huge ratings. It's not a whole lot of people. Whereas, uh, TV is a, a, a different animal. It's, it's going to be very soon that podcasts and podcasters and people that uh, are not famous start getting some recognition because they're competing with people that are famous and we're rivaling their audience and we're nobody. You know what I mean? James, uh, James was, James delivered papers, you know, not necessarily, not newspapers, but he was, uh, <laughs> he was serving people. That was his job before we started this. I worked at the electric company. It, we're normal ass dudes uh, who are not huge actors. We're just being ourselves. And that's going to be the credit when people find podcasts that they, where people are just being themselves or they're producing something that's fantastically produced. If it's well-produced and the, and the host is, has a great voice, that's going to be something that's a credit. Uh, that, that when TV and production starts happening again, I wouldn't be surprised if they start looking at podcasters to do things because we're normal people and we're being ourselves and we're being honest. And when you have honesty, man, honesty is so much better than being bullshit. You know, uh, the TV shows I watch now are things that aren't even like hugely popular. I love watching things like Letter Kenny, that, that show from Canada. It's unbelievable. It's so well done. It's so well written. And those are comedians that nobody knew. That's what podcasts are essentially, or the, they're the Letter Kenny of television. And they're going to end up being those people are going to end up being hugely famous or hugely rich. And I, I just hope that I'm one of those people. <laughs> and you know, the famous part, I take that back. I don't even want fame. I just want money because I want to be able to walk out of my house and go do things. I, James and I never got into this, never got into comedy for fame and never got into podcasting for fame. We just want to be able to support our families and make a living. And thankfully this audience has been, I, I can't even describe how loyal and incredible they've been to us to support us. It's, it's, we're just really grateful and really thankful. And I, and, and I'm, I, I really love it. Um, and watching my kids faces uh, when I, when they open a birthday gift is it's amazing. It, and knowing that I did that because I took a risk and took a chance and I was in a place mentally and in my life where I could take that risk. It was a calculated risk, but with James's effort and support, we've, we've made it happen. And it's, it's mind blowing, man. And taking a risk is, is really, it's worth it. Yeah. I appreciate that. And, and if people are listening to this now, like, okay, you know what? It's time. I'm going to check out what Jimmy's doing. I'm going to check out crime and sports or small town murder. Where can they, they find what you're working on and, li and listen to your stuff? Oh, they can find us anywhere podcasts are at, man. Podbean or, or, or little things, little apps like that. Any of this stuff. Any app where podcasts are, we're on it. I encourage anybody to, to give anything. They're, they're all. But the calculated risk is in finding who you are and where you are and knowing what your, what your end game goal is. And uh, if all of that falls in line, give it a run, man. Put everything you got into it because passion. People hear passion and they find passion. And if you got passion for something, it, you're going to make a good product. So go, go be amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Jimmy. Take care. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Jimmy was so great to come on the show and get real and raw with us on what being a comedian is really like. Give him a follow on Twitter at Wisman Sucks and subscribe to his podcast, Small Town Murder, 
and Crime and Sports wherever you listen to podcasts. If you've liked this podcast, please consider supporting us on patreon.com slash voxterlife. And as always, keep building.